Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. Although you can hear by the opening that we're going to be discussing Booster Gold first. So uh, it's November 30th. Hopefully everyone had a great Thanksgiving. And we we did, although, you know, this year is different. It's a little bit smaller, smaller gathering. Uh, we just had my in-laws and my brother-in-law over they've been inside our bubble our covid bubble um so hopefully everybody had a good thanksgiving had some good food stuffed yourself up i for the first time ever uh deep fried a turkey so that was cool that was a uh, fun learning experience um it was super safe we didn't do it anywhere near the house it was outside in our fire pit which is for far away from our house propane um burner set inside the fire pit and uh you know you prepare for the worst they say to dry off the turkey make sure that there's no excess uh water or anything because water and oil don't mix so we did all of that and luckily when lowering the turkey into the oil it was there was not a hitch at all there was no splashing you turn the burner off when you're lowering the turkey that way if there is splashing the year there's no flame so then the, even then another um added layer of safety you're not really gonna have a big uh, fire happen from lowering the turkey. That's that's one of the big times um, that people will burn down their houses. Um, so we did it very safe, and it was it was really good, really really good. The outside, I would say, deep frying a turkey. The outside, the skin gets is so good. And I'm a skin. I love turkey skin, anyways. Uh, and so the skin was really good, and it kept the turkey moist. Now. Is it better than going in the oven? I would say for the outside, my brother-in-law agreed. The outside, the skin and everything, yes, added some great flavor. The inside, now I've had turkeys that have been dried out before and they're not good cooked in the oven, but I've had turkeys that were pretty moist coming out of the oven. And so this was probably on par with one of the, like if you cook, I wouldn't say to perfection. Like I'm not going to say that the deep frying is perfection, but it's close, I think, to a, some of the best flavor you'll get out of an oven now can an oven achieve this flavor yes it was it will it is is it replicable uh i don't know i'll have to do another turkey (laughs) maybe next year to see if it was a a fluke that it was this delicious or if it's just uh deep frying is delicious moist and cooked all the way through oh plus you save a ton of time it only took it takes uh under an hour for we had a 15 pound bird and so it's like uh, 53, 54 minutes or something like that. Um, and so, you know, that would be, I think, two or three hours in a oven. So it went really fast. So hopefully everyone had a great Thanksgiving. So we got a jam-packed episode today uh, talking a few different Booster Gold topics and then a really fun Superman topic that I've been wanting to get to for a while. I've had the comics pulled out and prepared for a while, so I'm finally getting to it. Um, but we'll get to the Superman topic in a little bit. So let's dive into Booster Gold. So I've had, I think I got it in my October comic shipment because we get monthly shipments from Discount Comic Book Service, DCBS, not sponsored by them or anything. Just we like their service and um, it's been really nice, um, especially during COVID, still being able to get our comics monthly um with with, without a hitch in the in the shipping or anything now 
of course, comics had uh, their own, you know, the comic companies had their own hitch in terms of uh, getting uh, the, the production line and the things being delayed. Um, but I believe it was the October shipment that I got the Booster Gold Future Lost hardcover, which is the follow-up to what came out last year, Booster Gold, the big fall hardcover. And this is the really nice, I would say, prestige uh, format hardcover reproducing the volume one content in color for the first time now i know there was a showcase that had all 25 issues without color but these these are really really nice and i have it i have it right here and it looks gorgeous now um so one of the first things that stands out is it's blue sort of blue um uh theme sort of the blue um uh, like the the cover has a lot of blue on it, and there's uh, all the pages, the separator pages went, uh, between issues. If they need a page, it has a lot of blue. In the other volume, it's a lot of orange that's going on, orange and white on the cover, and this is blue. Um, and so it just, or I guess I shouldn't say orange in the previous volume, gold. <laughs> I would say, you know, um, Booster Gold's colors are blue and gold. Um, and the first volume, the color highlighted was gold. And in this volume, it's yellow. So it's, it's a really sharp looking cover. Uh, I believe it's a new, some new art by Dan Jurgens and Norm Ratman for the cover. And it looks gorgeous. Got uh, Booster Gold sort of um, front and center on the cover, obviously, and Skeets and the Time Sphere in the background. Unfortunately, there's no special features. Um, unlike the first volume that had all kinds of special features about the make create creation of booster gold and um some commentary from um dan jurgen some um some really cool tidbits and um pencil pages for the um issue number six that had to be quickly rewritten uh to accommodate being in the post-crisis continuity versus pre-crisis and how he, Booster Gold would have been even more intimately intimately tied with Superman than he was. And so this volume has no special features, but it has more content. It has the 13 outstanding issues of Booster Gold, so Booster Gold Volume 1 issues 13 through 25. And then it's also got um, Action Comics 594, which is sort of a crossover issue with, um, obviously, Superman. Uh, done by John Byrne, and that's awesome that it was uh, reproduced here in its entirety. And then we also have portions of the Millennium DC event, the DC event of Millennium, portions of issues 3, 4, 6, and 7 of the Millennium event, and also a Booster Gold, and also the Booster Gold page from the Who's Who's Update 87. So Who's Who sort of a... Um, Sort of like a one-page, uh, one-pager of character, his abilities, a little bit of a little bit of background, and so that's included here. Um, so this volume runs. This volume runs. Looks like three hundred and ninety-nine pages. <laughs> Bummer, we couldn't get one more page to hit four hundred. The previous volume runs. Let's see here. Oh, the special features aren't, the pages aren't numbered. So it looks like it's 300 pages on the dot and then about 20 some, 
maybe 20, 25 pages of extra content. So this volume definitely has about 70, 70 more pages in it um, from those extra issues. But it's interesting that Millennium, so I've never read Millennium or any of the Millennium related content outside of the issues that tie into Booster Gold Volume 1. And it starts to tie in towards the end of the run, obviously. And um, there's some, I'm far enough away that I probably won't cover this for a few months uh, on the podcast, but we find out that uh, Dirk is a manhunter and I, I, I remember that irked me when I first read it. So we'll see how I feel rereading it again when I get to it in this volume. But it's cool that that content's there and you get a more complete story since they, it does tie into those final issues of uh, Booster Gold Volume 1. So you get the Millennium. But it's interesting because you only get selective pages. You get, let's see here. You get um, Millennium number three, you get three pages of it. So apparently nothing is related to Booster Gold except for three pages of Millennium number three. And I haven't read these pages. I just counted how many there were. But we have three pages of Millennium. No cover. No cover uh, for that. Just sort of a uh, Booster Gold branded page with a little, a little tiny blurb about Millennium at the bottom. But not really even enough to give context to it. And then, um, so Millennium Number 3 sort of on its own because it's separated by, let me see here, it's separated by, just looking at the index, it's separated by Booster Gold Number 24. And so we have Millennium, three pages of Millennium Number 3, Booster Gold Number 24, and then we have the remaining pages that we get from Millennium Number 4, 6, and 7. And what's interesting is you get the cover of issue number seven at the beginning of that content. So you get the cover of issue seven and then it, and then I was confused trying to do a little bit of research for this episode uh, about millennium. Uh, but you get the cover to issue seven and then, but it goes into the paid, the few pages of ish of issues four and six, and then you get issue seven. So you have the, you have um, two pages of Millennium Four and six pages, or um, and four pages of Millennium Number Six. So you actually have six pages of Millennium content before you actually get to Millennium Number Seven. But you get the cover of Millennium Seven, making it, making somebody who doesn't own the issues or this is the first time you've been viewing these pages, that it was uh, that these are all in one issue, and that's not true, and it's a little confusing when you uh, realize that. So we'll see how it reads. I've never read it. We'll see how this content reads. It's really cool that it's there. Oh, I forgot um, to include the uh, Booster Gold pages of Secret Origins 35, the title Secret Origins. Um, the We we get uh, about a half an issue, which is Booster Gold's expanded origin done by Dan Jurgens. And so that's really cool. I've only read that issue. I have that issue, but I've only read it once or twice since then a little while. So I'm really looking forward to rereading it, especially since I'm getting this volume one content so fresh in my mind, having, um, I'm finishing the first volume. Actually, I'm, I haven't, I still have to finish a couple of issues in the first volume. So the big fall. So those issues are fresh in my mind in terms of covering it for the podcast. I've already read them, but and then diving into Futures Lost here. But it's I have all this 
fresh in my mind. So I really am looking forward to seeing the expanded origin in Secret Origins 35, which is also included here. So you get a lot more content in, in the second volume. So it's bummer that you don't get any special features or supplemental back matter, but it sort of makes sense. All the relevant stuff was included in volume one. And I'm just happy that they were able to finish this because I was worried that about sales of volume one. I had no idea. I mean, I guess I didn't have anything to worry about. I didn't, but I was just concerned that, hey, if this doesn't sell well, then we're not going to get the rest of this. But then um, I was ecstatic when I saw it was solicited and then it actually came out because sometimes DC will solicit things and then due to lack of um, enthusiasm, you know, pre-sales uh, from retailers and things, they actually will end up canceling some things. It doesn't happen a ton, but it does happen. And so until the volume was actually in my hand or um, I was seeing images of it on Twitter uh, I follow Dan Jurgens, and so I was actually I, I saw I knew it was produced I knew it existed, so I, I knew it was coming. But until I saw a physical version, you know, on Twitter posted by Dan Jurgens, and then it, once it was in my hand, until until those things happened, I was a little worried that, about this project actually being finished. And I'm curious to see if we get any more Booster Gold content, and what spurred DC to put this out. Um, I mean, Booster hasn't had his own title since the new 52 started in 2011 so it's been 2011 since volume two ended that's been nine years now going on you know we're right at the tail end of 2020 so going on 10 years and there hasn't been a booster gold volume three are they seeing something um hopefully dc will get a message uh from us that's why i try to buy everything i can booster gold related i got uh i'm really looking forward to reading the two issues of batman beyond that booster is in uh i already have issue one issue two has been released so you listeners might have already read it but i'm still waiting on my shipment for november and um and then we have the generations content that dan jurgens is producing that is incorporating booster gold and so booster gold has been around and since 2011 and he gets the and he gets some specials you know he gets um he gets uh, the convergence stuff, and he gets he gets these specials, and he's this character that's sort of weird. Like he doesn't have his own title, but he isn't forgotten about. And DC will he still is a part of the DC universe, but he doesn't get his own title. It's like come on, DC, give this character, give this character a title. So going back real quick, a couple of final thoughts about this volume is super vibrant colors. It looks great. I love it. I love it. It looks it, it's. Rep it's reproducing this content better than the original issues. I pulled out the original issues earlier today to take a look at some something, some feature content for the show that is not included in these volumes. Um, hint, hint, uh, letters, pages, and things. And so, because those aren't reproduced, I want to reread Dan Jurgens' um, comments to, to and what people are writing in and his comments and get a little bit more of a commentary on volume one that you don't get and so and i gotta tell you the original issues um you know they're bagged and boarded but they still got yellowing going on like uh, i mean they're you know they they're, they're showing their age and um it's fantastic that we have these volumes 
So I wanted to do another synopsis, or I wanted to dive in before I dive into the actual um, volume one issue I'm covering today, Booster um, Gold, volume one, number nine. I, I wanted to talk about the Booster Gold Blue Beetle story that's in the DC Cybernetics Summer 80-page giant that was released in July of 2020. And... <laughs> This was an audible. I was actually looking for um, something in the comics that I have yet to be filed uh, and put away because we'll read our comics and then put them in a little this little w- w- wicker bin that sort of looks nice in our office until and then when that gets pretty full, then we'll transfer those up to the comic room and actually sort and put them away where they go. Well, I was looking today. Uh, I knew I wanted to record, so I was looking today for some for something related to Superman. And was reminded that I hadn't filed this away, and I was, and I was like, "Did I talk about that on the show?" And I was re- trying to rack my brain because I don't think I talked about the Booster Gold Blue Beetle story from the DC Cybernetic Summer on the show. So what this was was DC has been for the past few years putting out these eighty pages. I think they're all eighty pages, but these things that um, relate to a certain holiday or a time of year, they'll put out. Uh, uh, Halloween themed um, uh, special of Valentine's. I, this year, I think they put a Valentine's Day special out also, and so, and I th- they wanted to do something relating to summer, and each one usually has some sort of a theme going on, and this one was about robots and cybernetic um, uh, um, themes, and hence the DC Cybernetic Summer name, and it's ten stories. It says on the cover ten. Towel twisting tales of technology, and so obviously the Booster Gold Blue Beetle is just one of these ten issues. It's eight pages long, and what's what's interesting is it's not represented very well on the cover. On, on the the cover is pretty cool. It's got a bunch of characters, including Cyborg Superman. It has a cool sort of Cyborg Superman story. I'm not going to cover that right now. Maybe in the future, um, but it's it's got a pretty cool cover. I think, but the only booster, the only thing that you would, like, you wouldn't know Booster Gold was in this issue, except there's Skeets. Skeets is on the cover, so, I mean, he's, he's cybernetic, he's the security robot, and so he's on the cover, but there's no booster, there's, you would have no idea Blue Beetle was in this issue if you, you know, for you Blue Beetle fans out there, if you just looked at the cover, you'd have literally no idea. Um, but let's, let's dive into this, let's dive into this for a minute. It has a cover date of September 2020, like I said, and it came out in July. Um, So here's the synopsis. This is a story about friendship. After taking out some bad guys, Booster and Beetle decide to spend a day at the beach, but the beach is too crowded, so they go back in time to the day before the last time they were there, so one year and one day previous. They they go back in time to when to, um, when it was empty, However, they are met by a number of alternate uh, boosters and beetles who all had the same idea. And then King Shark shows up at the end, and all six sets of um, booster and beetles take out King Shark. So that's the very quick synopsis. I mean, the story is quick. But the real fun of this is you get to see all the alternate versions of booster and blue beetle because they keep showing up they keep time traveling and forgetting that they've already done this 
and so they're time traveling to the same day. It, it's just sort of a f- um, funny, and and uh, you get Skeets worried about paradoxes the whole time. But so here's I'm 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 gonna go through the different sets because I I, I really like them. So we have the our regular ver, um, booster and beetle that we're following. I guess we'll call them uh, the present. And then you get one year in the future. They they look pretty much the same. They show up first after our um, regular, uh, we'll call them Booster and Beetle Prime, after Booster and Beetle Prime show um, time travel, travel. Then we get uh, the one year later, <laughs> not DC's one year later, but you get one year, um, these characters from one year later, and they, they're pretty much the same. And then we get another set of uh, Michael and Ted's that show up that are from 10 years in the future. And Ted is fat with a soul patch, and Booster has a mullet and Hulk Hogan stash. He sort of really does look like a uh, uh, a professional wrestler. <laughs> Skeets has seen better days. He's pretty smashed up. And then a couple panels later, we get 20 years in the future, Bo- um, Booster and Beetle showing up. And Booster still has a stash that's gone white, and Beetle is fat and now bald with a white ponytail on the back. And... Um, Although Booster mentions that he's bald, so he has a ponytail, but it must just be the last remaining hair is long enough in the back to put in, the, in, in a ponytail. And he has like like a Beetle-style face paint on on uh, Ted's face. It's um, r- r- reminds me of the Violator from Spawn. I remember, you know, all the, that was all the rage in the '90s. You'd see the the clown with the face paint from Spawn all all over the place. That's what this version of Ted reminds me of. You, and you get a cool, futuristic-looking Skeets. And then, of course, so now we have four sets of Boosters and Beetles there. We got our Primes from the one year later, ten years later, and twenty years later. And then they they, they decide to play a game of volleyball. <laughs> so it's all, it's fun. And you, and you got the Teds versus the, the Michaels. Um, and then a fifth set shows up from even f- further in the future. Crazy goatees crazy hair crazy futuristic slim glasses think think um kind of reminds me of rufus from bill and ted's um excellent adventure and you get a cool sort of image looking and by image i mean image comics like spiky spiky skeets and very ominous and we don't know exactly how far in the future they're from but where they're they're from the future and then, uh, then we also have a sixth set of Booster and and uh, Beetle that apparently have been here the whole time and nobody's even known it. But these are from 50 years in the future, and they came to see, quote-unquote, they came to see them in their prime. And they really look old, like uh, sort of, I hate to be pejorative, but um, like, like, like really old geezers. Uh, <laughs> they're, they really have that sort of old, sort of emaciated look to them. Um, it looks like Skeets has been modified to be a big cane, <laughs> which is funny. It's funny to think about. Um, it's funny to th- or or a walker actually. Maybe it, maybe it's a walker. I, I wrote cane in my notes, but maybe it's a walker because he's got it's got two big sides. But it's funny to think about uh, Booster using Skeets as a walker. Um, so that's funny. So this whole story is really really fun. It's really a great eight page story. And it really reminds me of, of Bill and Ted, 
um, vibe. It has a um, B- Bill and Ted um, ex- excellent adventure. So the first movie vibe to it, sort of this surfer vibe. It's, I mean, I, I mean they go to the beach, so obviously it has a surfer um, beach vibe to it. Uh, I really dig the uh, beachwear that version that Booster and Beetle Prime are wearing, and also the one year later they they, they really have these uh, these cool beachwear and beach um, button ups uh, button up shirts that really are reminiscent of uh, their costumes. You know, Booster's has stars on it and things, and they're really kind of cool. Like I would wear <laughs> I would wear that beachwear. It's pretty cool. But I really love seeing the different interpretations throughout the years. It was funny and concise. I mean, it had to be it, to be in this uh, this eighty page giant. Um, so it, it it worked really well. So that is the story, the boys of summer from the DC cybernetics from the DC cybernetic summer. All right, let's get to covering. Let's pick up where we left off on previous episodes. Covering Booster Gold Volume One, I, I kept saying that. I kept saying that this show was when I came back that this show was going to cover whatever I wanted Booster Gold related, and it wasn't going to necessarily cover Volume One um, in sort of an index style. But I'm going to do. I'm, I'm not getting burned out, uh, and so I'll do it. You know, maybe you know. I just it's whatever I feel like doing. So next next episode I might not cover volume one, even though I've read those and I'm prepared to talk about them. So that's what keeps it fresh is having is knowing that like I can talk about what I want to, and so I'm not tied to to covering this. Um, so the synopsis today is courtesy of boosterific.com. So again, I'm not affiliated with that site at all. Uh, I've had some correspondence with the site owner. He's really cool. It's the best Booster Gold site website on the internet. Um, but I'm not affiliated with it. And I've spoke on previous episodes about my laziness, my laziness with writing synopses. And that's part of the huge hindrance of um, what caused me to get burned out. Just in my previous, you know, in 2014 when I was doing this show for the three episodes <laughs> I did it. Uh, so synopsis courtesy of Boosterific. Thank you very much. Michael John Booster Carter, native of the 24th century, is fighting Brainiac 5, Chameleon Boy, and Ultra Boy, all members of the Legion of Superheroes in the 30th century, in the skies above 20th century Metropolis. The Legionnaires mistakenly believe that Booster is involved in an assassination attempt on the, president, on, on the United States President Ronald Reagan. The combatants are unaware that the President and Vice President are being abducted by the chiller in the city below. Fortunately for the president, Skeets has been following the limousine and interrupts Chiller's assassination attempt. Booster responds to Skeets' summons by explaining the situation to the Legionnaires. The heroes join forces and rush to save the president. In the aftermath, Brainiac 5 decides that Booster is in the right place at the right time before returning to the future. The Legionnaires ensure that the necessary artifacts are put in their proper place to eventually end up in the Space Museum in the 25th century where Booster will steal them. Booster is publicly rewarded by the president in a televised press conference in Washington, D.C. In the excitement, Booster garbles his own alter ego and is officially dubbed Booster Gold. Nearly a year later, Booster Gold enjoys the fruits of his exploits at a dust commercial shoot in Metropolis with girlfriend Monica Lake. Elsewhere, with the aid of Dr. Shocker, Benny, Marty, and Sarah Davis, the director of the Thousand Vows Revenge on Booster spoiling his prior plans. 
So let's start off with the cover. It's a pretty cool cover. Just the hero and villain, the, the, the chiller, and an orange background. So we have no background here, just the villains. And the blank background is quite striking, and I, I think it works pretty well. Chiller's design is cheesy and cool all at the same time, I think. Uh, it sort of has that, that uh, 80s villain feel cheesy feel but it also has a cool it's got that it also has the cool 80s feel like i i think it's funny this one character i think works on both on um from from both angles it's the finish so we open up with the finish up the obligatory heroes fight each other it's a trope that works for me sometimes and others it doesn't i'm not i'm, I'm not the biggest legion fan so i'm so here i'm not a huge fan of this but and it's funny because by page ten they they realize it was all a big misunderstanding. I mean, if you've read comics, you've read this trope a million times, where the heroes have to fight before they realize that neither one of them is the threat, and the threat is actually an outside external threat, and then they team up to go fight that threat, and that's exactly what happens here. And sometimes I'm not a sometimes that trope doesn't bother me, and sometimes it does. And here I I wouldn't say it bothers me just. I, th I think I mentioned this on the previous issue, um, episode where I talked, where I covered issue eight. I'm just not, I'm just not the biggest Legion fan, so Legion content is meh, doesn't really, doesn't really do it for me. What's what, what I find really interesting is when comics do this, when they actually use the president, the real life president, like here as President Kennedy. I mean, it makes it, it, it gives it a real world feel. But it also dates it because here I'm reading it in 2020 and it's like, oh, yeah, Reagan's the president. But I don't know. The, would it be any better if it was a fake president? Uh, probably not. So it, it probably works better just to why not use the real life president, I suppose. I, I really like it when it's um, done in Death of Superman with President Clinton. So I shouldn't have an issue with it with with Reagan. I mean, I'm hyper aware. I'm, I'm, I'm never forgetting the fact that I'm reading an '80s comic. So I guess having the real life president uh, shouldn't shouldn't be a problem. It's just something that I think about, and I, I wish I, I I wish I didn't think about it. It doesn't necessarily take me out of the story because if there was a fake president, I would you know think, oh, this is a fake president. There's probably no winning. <laughs> There's probably no winning there. It's cool to finally learn where the where Booster's items come from and why they're in the 25th century to begin with. But I do wonder if this was done to fix the retroactive um, thing that Dan Jurgens had to do with issue number six, where I, 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 I talked about this, and it's covered in the, su the supplemental content of the Booster Gold, the Big Fall hardcover, where we, where we learned that, and we actually saw some of the original pages of booster's origin issue or the first issue covering his origin we get future issues that cover them in, in more depth but we get uh, dan jurgens didn't want to change that booster had a flight had a legion flight ring but it was supposed to originally be superboy's legion flight ring so there was no question why it would have been there in the 25th century superboy existed in the past so his ring ex existed in the past but now we have Booster Gold with a Legion flight ring, but Superboy doesn't exist in post-crisis continuity, post continuity. So he sort of had to write himself out of that pickle. And I, I, th I think it works. So it's... Um, I, th I, th I think it works. It, it sort of makes her head hurt to think that it was 
the ring that was in the past because of because of this incident with the chiller. And I I do wonder if it was if this if these issues were rewritten along with issue six and rewritten to be in the past to explain boosters, um, how how he has these artifacts because simply being from the future and stealing them wouldn't explain why they were in the 25th century to begin with when as i said if they were superboys that is not an issue it's there because superboy was in the past and so it was a superman museum he was the night guard of and but with the revamp that had to happen there had to be changes and so i i I have a feeling that this was that these would have been just issues that took place during the normal um, time that Volume 1 is taking place instead of Issues 8 and 9 being primarily taking place a year in the past. Um, although we do get some cool stuff in Issue 8 that uh, Booster arriving on in the present day, you know, present day 1986, that we didn't get in issues um, in issue six, so maybe maybe that's not the case. Um, when I th- when I think about what was included in issue eight, but reading issue nine, it made me think that oh, this is set in the past just to uh, solve a problem that was introduced because it was being it was post crisis, but maybe not when I think about what was included in issue eight because we did get some fun stuff. Um, as I said, Booster Gold arriving in the present day and and setting up some things. And so maybe it was always intended to be this way, but it, it made me think if it, uh, and if I ever get a chance to speak to Dan Jurgens, eh, really geeky question. So I probably won't ask him, but I would like to ask him. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could do either a good Star Trek geeky voice or the uh, comic book guy from Simpsons, and just sort of, you know, in, in that voice, like, excuse me, Dan, in issue number eight of Booster Gold Volume 1, you know, the uh, Galaxy Quests um, asking the cast members uh, sort of a scenario. Although, I have to, I bet Dan Jurgens probably has all these details still in his mind about Booster Gold, um... Specifically, because that's the character he created, and but if if I ever do meet Dan Jurgens, which I'd like to, I have not. But if I ever do, I'm I I, I don't know what I'm going to ask him. I'm going to have him sign a few things. Definitely some Death of Superman stuff, uh, some Butcher Gold stuff. I I don't know what questions I would ask. I would definitely just say like you know, love his work um, in general. But I don't know if I'd ask him questions because I even though I have questions, I would. It would really sort of tread on that comic book guy um, uh, sort of mentality, if 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 you know what I mean. I just have to laugh at the uh, the full page splash that we get of the ad for the dusk the dusk fragrance once we cut back to present day and Booster is doing uh, cologne cologne ads. Uh, it's just funny, just just such a soap opera Fabio style uh, setup. Booster Gold laying there all seductively with his fragrance like uh you know trying to appeal to the to the modern man uh to buy his to buy his fragrance and then we get the end of the issue which sets up the final showdown in the last couple issues of 
I say last couple issues because they're the last couple issues of Volume One, yeah. the Big Fall hardcover of Volume One, up to, which goes up through issue twelve. Um, so issues ten, eleven, and twelve basically cover the the showdown with the with with the director uh, from the thousand, and we get that we 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 get that. Final page set up here. I mean, this was all sort of set up by the director to sort of, to make himself the president, ultimately Senator Ballard, um, and that it was the whole Chiller plot and kidnapping the president was supposed to lead to, and Chiller, the plan to have Chiller impersonate the president, and then Senator Ballard eventually become the president, and that grudge, and the end of this issue just sets up those final few issues. And so that's where I'm going to leave it for Booster Gold for today. Lots of Booster Gold content, almost almost 40 minutes in. Sorry about the little noise. I bumped my bumped my pop filter on <laughs> on my recording here. All right, let's dive into Superman. <laughs> Today, what we're talking about with Superman is a topic that I've had planned for a while. I want to talk about the various origins of Superman, or most of them, because there's the big ones, and I want to talk about a number of them, but I'm not being a completionist. I'm talking about the big miniseries, the the Man of Steels, the Birthrights, the Superman Year One. And I'm just going to discuss some things, some quick thoughts that I like about each one or dislike or just just some general impressions. Um, And this doesn't preclude or or this doesn't mean that I'm not going to have entire episodes where I only talk about one of these. Because I I could see myself doing that where I spend an entire episode talking about Superman, uh, John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries. But today I sort of... I, I just wanted to give some brief thoughts about all of them, um, especially now that we have some, you know, we have for some of them, I mean, literally decades, and they're not, they're not part of continuity anymore, and we just have these stories and these origins, and just being able to talk about them, compare them a little bit, and I'm I'm, I'm going to stay kind of surface level. For some of these, I'm not going to dive too deep because I want to save that because I can do and and will in the future at some point an episode on each and every one of these. Before I dive into some of the bigger miniseries, I just wanted to talk about some of the smaller the smaller content which I can cover in its entirety here. Um, so I want to give a shout out to Alex Ross's two page spread in Superman: Peace on Earth, the two page origin. It, like all of Alex Ross's art, it's gorgeous. You, the only thing, my, my only, I, I have a couple of nitpicks, though. A couple of nitpicks. Even though this is gorgeous, I'd love to have a 
It's two pages spread up on my wall. It's it's colored in monotone, this monotone sort of um, golden, sort of think sunset, um, sort of sunset in a cornfield uh, coloring. I would have like I think I would have liked this whole thing to better if it, if the whole thing had been done in I in normal colors I guess the way it would have the way it would have been colored under normal circumstances with the full color palette I think that would have made it even more vibrant and made it stand out and it would have been awesome I, I think, even though it's already fantastic the way it is, I think having that full color palette would have made it even better. And and you get that in the final panel. Uh, you get Superman in the final panel because the rest of the panels are Krypton blowing up, Clark and Smallville, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, then you get that color in the final panel when it's Superman. And it's told – my other little nitpick is it's told in the third person – I, or in the first person, this is Clark talking about himself. And I think this would have worked even better if it was third person, sort of uh, think uh, George Reeves' intro to the, the Adventures of Superman TV show. This would have been even – it, it would have taken this and made it even more majestic, I think, to having a third person or a th- the, the, the third person perspective. First person – is sort of just you know boasting about yourself or um, sort of you know building yourself up. Um, I think it would have been kind of cool if it was third person because then it's the everyman. You know, it's it's the myth, the legend. Um, this is the myth that's been passed down. This is the, the the legend of this hero, and you don't quite get the this is the the legend aspect when looking at these pages when it could have done that when it's first person because it's Clark talking about himself and you sort of lose that grand, the grand scope that I think the third person perspective could give. But I, but I, I really like it and I wanted to give it a shout out. Next is the one pager from Action Comics number one. It's straight to the point. The scientific uh, explanation comparison of Clark Kent's powers to ants lifting heavy weight and grasshoppers jumping is pretty cool. But it's it's one page. Uh I mean, it's iconic from making from from Action Comics uh, number one. Particular, I don't own the issue, but I own. <laughs> obviously, I don't own the issue. If I would, I'd be a millionaire, and I wouldn't. <laughs> if I had the money to own that issue, I wouldn't uh, probably be doing this podcast. I'd be uh, probably out swimming in my bank of money, Scrooge McDuck style, uh, if, if I was able to own that. But I do have the reproduction. Uh, and I have the, in particular, I was, for, for this episode, I was looking at my copy of the Superman, a celebration of 75 years hardcover that came out in what, uh, 2013, uh, to coincide with Man of Steel. Um, and it just happened to be Superman's 75th year, um, and it has the, it has, it, this hardcover is fantastic. I could do a whole, every time I think about something, I could think about something I could do a whole new, a whole episode for. I could do a whole episode on this hardcover because it's fantastic, the stories that are covered in it. But it's got Action Comics number one. And so it's got, the color is reproduced, it's very striking. Um, oh, I also have this reproduced in 
Action Comics 1000, I believe, that also has, I don't, I think it, um, I, I'm pretty positive it's got this entire story from Action Comics number one in there as well. I, re- I remember just doing a side-by-side color comparison, um, but I can't remember which version I liked better, what was in the Action Comics 1000, what's in the Superman A Celebration of 75 Years, or actually in my reproduction. I don't know which one. I have to. I should probably dig those out and maybe do a, yet another episode topic. <laughs> I love recording and thinking of two to three or four episode topics while I'm recording. But this is very straightforward origin. We get one panel of talking about Krypton blowing up, a panel of Superman at the orphanage, um, three panels of Clark being per- performing his feats, and then a couple of panels at the bottom talking, you know, com- um, to try to, I think, get people to understand. Because we have to remember, this is 1938, when the idea of a super strong man with two supernatural abilities, superhuman abilities, is is a novel concept. And so to give that comparison with uh, something from the natural world that people can understand sort of helps, I think. We all know that ants can lift many times their weight and grasshoppers can jump much further. And in these early days, Superman couldn't fly, he could jump. But relating those back to the um, to something in the, in the natural world was pretty smart, I think. Uh, some good bit of writing by Siegel. Next, I want to talk about the, the uh, 10 pages that we get in Superman number 53. Or actually, no, sorry. I was, was going to say in Superman number 53. I'm going to talk about that in a second. So in Superman number one, the origin is expanded to two pages. And we get the Kents uh, by name there, and we get the Orphanage, and we get a little a little bit more, a c- couple pages. So I just wanted to shout out Superman number one. That, Superman number one, I had a digital version, you know, uh, pirated CBR. I do not have that in any form that I'm aware of. I, I, I don't think I have that. I don't have the reproduction. I, they did. They did a treasury back in the seventies. I believe it was. Uh, that's when they were doing treasuries, so it's got to be the seventies. But I should tr- try to track down that treasury on eBay. I think maybe the Action Comics um, also, but probably the Superman. But I don't have Superman number one in any form that I'm aware of. I don't think I have in any of my collections. Uh, you always get Action Comics reproduced, but I don't think Superman number one is is included anywhere uh so i have it but i have it as a as a don't tell anyone a pirated cbr oh no um so that's where i read the two pages from is is in the cbr so now i'll jump to the 10 pages of the superman origin from superman number 53 and this is the 10th anniversary issue it came out in 1948 and what's interesting is it was written by Bill Finger, which is the um, co-creator of Batman. That's since come out and got the he's got the um, credit, and now he, he gets Bill Finger gets credit on all Batman comics now. Batman created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger, I believe, is the way that it's always credited now. But it's sort of interesting that the first, and it's crazy to think it took 10 years, but the first like big multi-page, uh, more than two, two pages um, origin for Superman, I believe this is the first one. 
is in the Superman uh, number 53. And it's, um, what's interesting is this was, I believe, still when, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm looking at the cover right now that's reproduced in the Superman um, cel- a celebration of 75 years. And it's got Jul- number 53, July and August on the cover. So I know Superman was coming out, I believe, bi-monthly for a while. Maybe... I don't want to talk too much about things that I'm really not knowledgeable about, but it's interesting that it ha- it says on the cover July and August. Uh, but it says featuring the origin of Superman, 10th anniversary issue, and we get 10 pages, although it's basic, although it's more like nine because the first page is a big splash page um, with Superman, the famous image of Superman head in his hands. Um, very sullen looking and as we see Krypton exploding with Jor-El and Lara's image sort of in the explosion and the rocket and just a big splash page and then there but then we do get nine pages that are pretty well done uh pretty extensive for the time nine pages of of the origin we get a few pages on Krypton two or three pages three pages on Krypton I think few pages of Superman at the Orphanage. Um, although the the origin sort of stops when Clark leaves Smallville and Mom and Pa have died. We don't get any of the origin of becoming a reporter at the Daily Planet or anything. It's really it really is Krypton exploding, some Smallville, um, the Kent dying, Clark standing by their graves, and then that's and and then a final panel of Superman at the end, but it's 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 a good it's a good origin. I like it. Short and to the point, but not as short as Action Comics and Superman number one. It expanded a little bit more. All right, let's really dive into the meat and potatoes of this, um, this topic the the mini series. So I have them here. They're all they're all here. The ones that I have in bags and boarded, I've taken out of their bags and boards so I can refer to them while I'm talking here. And some of them I have as collected editions, and I'm going to talk about talk about these. So the first is, oh, shout out again to an, another issue, um, Action Comics number 500, which I don't have pulled out here to refer to um, right while I'm talking right now. But it's a really cool, very famous image, sort of, I, I believe they're called Infinity Covers, where the cover, somebody is holding the cover on the cover, and in that cover, somebody's holding it. You know, uh, it's go, looking at a mirror reflected to infinity, um, and so I believe it's called an Infinity Cover. And it's pretty, it's a cool story. What I really like about it is we get an even more expanded origin but we also get that sort of framed around a Lex Luthor plot um, uh, scheme. And so it's sort of the whole package. You get the uh, origin and you get the um, a, a new story as well. Sort of sort of a uh, sort of think about it, think of it. We actually just watched a little while ago. We were watching The Simpsons as a family. And it's sort of like a clip show framed around um, framed around a uh, uh, story. <laughs> um, so we get, as I said, we get some, some origins and we get uh, 
the Lex Luthor scheme. I what's what's interesting is I remember thinking that um, Lara looked pretty good in her sort of miniskirt that she was drawn in. <laughs> um, but this is a really fantastic issue. I first read it as a CBR and then loved it and then picked it up at a Comic-Con, um, I believe the Motor City Comic-Con. I, for, I forget which year, but it's a fantastic anniversary issue. So actually Comic-Con number 500. So now let's move on to the real meat and potatoes, as I keep saying, um, the miniseries. So we'll start off with Man of Steel, 1986. And I'm going to primarily focus my thoughts on issue number one, because that really, issue number one is really the origin. Issues two through six are, is a continuation, but if this was an ongoing, I mean, issue number one, and for years, I actually didn't even know, pre-internet, I had somehow acquired a copy of the direct market edition of Superman number one, which is, that's what I still have. And then I have the newsstand edition, uh, or the regular editions of two through six. But I love the news or the direct market edition of Man of Steel number one with the the shirt rip that's taking up the entire cover. Although I should get the regular newsstand cover. I don't have it um, with Superman sort of also r- ripping his shirt on the side, and um, that's a cool cover too. But issue number one is really the the primary um the primary origin at, at the at the end of issue one we have super superman having become superman flying off and ready to start his adventures after that and that's what issues two through six primarily are so issue number one i really like the the updates that john Byrne made and this was the superman that i knew that i was introduced to um, especially, uh, I came into comics during the death, the death of Superman, and so that was the John Byrne to Superman, and this so this is the Superman that I knew, and it was it's really fun seeing where that got started, and I really can't say I don't really have any faults with John Byrne's um, revamps. I love the design of Krypton. I love that he got rid of Superboy. I like Superboy as a nostalgia thing. I like reading those silver and silver age issues and 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 stories even though i haven't read a ton i enjoy them but i think superman works much better just thematically and as a as a as a narrative not becoming superman until he's an adult until he i I think it just works better and it takes sort of the cheese factor out of it i think superboy was created to appeal to the to the young to the young readers and I think just thematically, I think it works a lot better the way that John Byrne did it. Um, I really like making Lex Luthor the the businessman, and I really like this miniseries. I like really like John Byrne's artwork. I can't say I have any complaints about it. Um, I really like that Superman was the the birthing matrix that superman is sent to earth in and he's literally born on earth so he's 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 he is an alien biologically but he's literally born on earth and i i i forget if it's this issue in particular or a future issue but superman says like i'm an i'm an american i was born on in america and you know we have uh 
natural uh, born citizenship here in the United States. And so he was born in America. And so he is an American and he is not an illegal alien on in this version. Not that, not that that is particularly matters to me. I don't care about that necessarily, but it's just sort of, I, I, I just like it. And I like the Clark Kent first mentality that I think John Byrne brought to the Superman character. The I'm Clark first and Superman is what I do, not who I am. And Clark is who I am. And I think being born on in the United States uh, on Earth really sort of plays into that. And so I'll, I'll move on now to Superman for all seasons. And again, I'm going to caveat this with everything I'm, everything I'm talking about could have its own episode and probably will. So I, so so if, for those of you thinking, oh, there's a lot more content to cover for Superman, um, the Man of Steel miniseries, uh, don't worry. Eventually I will get to it. So next I'm going to cover Superman for all seasons. And this came out in um, single-issue form, four issues in 1998. And But I didn't read it until a few years later. I, I don't think I read it until... Maybe 2005-ish, 2006-ish. So six or seven years after it came out, I didn't um, read it until then. And so, and I didn't read it until the I bought the collected edition. Uh, so it's got everything all in one. But I got to say, I love the pairing of Jeff Loeb and Tim Saleh. Sal, I'm not sure exactly which it is. But I think they such have such a – that pairing works so well. Now, I will be completely honest, and uh, um, I think it works much I, – I, I think their pairing never was better than it was in Long Halloween and Dark Victory, the Batman the Batman stories, particularly the, the Long Halloween. I mean, that is a, a classic, classic, classic. And I think Superman for All Seasons is a great story, but I don't think it's a I, – I, I don't think it's a drop-dead classic like um, – like the long Halloween is like uh, character defining. I, I don't think this is, I like it a lot, but I, I don't think it's a story that I would necessarily give to someone as one of their first. Well, I, I would necessarily, I guess I would give it to them as one of their first Superman comics if I was trying to int introduce them to the character, but it just isn't as defining as the long Halloween. Um, it's still very good. So the collected edition has Superman uh, right on the cover, hands on hips, and Tim Sal draws such a such a great Superman, and the artwork is fantastic. And we we follow Clark as he goes from from Smallville to Metropolis and has encounters with Lex Luthor and the. I think the biggest thing I can say about this is the coloring. I really think one of the biggest things is, is the is the art and the coloring. I got to give the colorist a huge a huge thumbs up on this because it's just gorgeous. Sort of pastel colors and I think it's fantastic. And I remember hearing on a podcast somewhere that it was done. It was. It's written in such a way so it doesn't contradict anything in, in. Uh, John Burns like the man because this is firmly still set within 
the Man of Steel post-crisis era of Superman. And I remember hearing that Jeff Loeb wasn't crazy about Clark playing football the way that he did in high school, the way that John Byrne had him do it. And so Jeff Loeb just sort of ignored that and didn't say it didn't happen, but didn't deal with it, which is fine. But I come at all of these thinking these are outside continuity now. I don't think continuity is important anymore, uh, personally, and I I like that I can just sit down. And these are sort of self-contained stories for the m- most of them. And so it, it's it's called for all seasons because each book sort of thematically and tonally takes place sort of during during a different actual season of the year spring and and i believe they're titled i believe each issue is titled spring summer fall winter um and so yes exactly and so um that that's exactly how how they're titled and i would give this a a uh really i would give it a big a big thumbs up i think it's uh, well worth well worth reading so next I wanted to dive into Superman Birthright. Now, so Superman Birthright, again, uh, another one I didn't get to until, um, for a while. It came out in 2003, and I didn't read it until probably 2007 or 2008. And I don't have the single issues for this. I had a couple of them, but I sold them because I, don't, I didn't have the complete set, and so I didn't, need, I, I didn't want to have an incomplete set. And... Um, I had already I had picked up the the soft cover trade paperback, and I really like this um, this story. I know it caused you know looking back reading reviews on Superman homepage it caused a big hullabaloo. You know where does this fit into continuity? Blah 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 blah. I don't have any of that baggage because I read it after the fact. I didn't care where it fit into continuity. I'm just reading it as a story. How does this story? How it what does this interpretation bring to the table and how well does it capture the character and how well do I like it? Um, really not worried about how it fit into continuity. One, the funny thing is, is that um, I, re- I didn't read this for a while, as I mentioned, um, until three, you know, probably four or five years after it came out. And I read it in the collected edition, um, but it was it was through reading a, a review of issue one on the Superman homepage where they referenced a two-page splash at the beginning of the book that is not in the collected edition. I do not know why. It's a really cool page of sort of a recap of the childhood on ha- ha- having landed on the farm. Just on these two pages, you get. You, you get it's sort of panelless page where all these images sort of bleed into each other, but you get Clark landing, Clark having landed on the farm, and Jonathan and Martha standing by the spacecraft, and you have um, Clark Clark um, jumping over a barn and lifting a tractor. I, I don't I, I don't know why they left this page out of the collected edition. Again, I and then I went to a uh, um, uh, digital version that I had, and sure enough, it was there. Um, and so I was 
sort of surprised that it wasn't in the collected edition, and I don't know why. It sort of makes me want to pick up at least issue one of this series um, just to have that splash page in physical form because it's it's a beautiful, beautiful splash page. But I really like this story, and you can this story you can really feel the Smallville continuity or the Smallville um, creeping in and influencing comics, having Lex uh, back in Smallville during his younger years, um, and it really felt new and fresh to me at the time for the comics because I at back then uh, over a decade ago I was I was really unfamiliar with the Silver Age and Gold um, Silver Age and Bronze Age and. I know for a lot of people and prior who read comics prior to that post-crisis, Lex Luthor lived in Smallville, and, and that's where, you know, the, the, the famous story of how Lex's hair fell out and how he blames Superboy for that. But for me, this felt sort of new and weird, and I wasn't sure how I felt about it at first. Uh, and it really felt like Smallville was creeping into the comics, which wasn't not a horrible thing, I but that's sort of what it felt like. I just, and I also lacked some of the context of historically. It's not. It wasn't new. Smallville didn't in introduce it, but it really felt like, and it really felt like Smallville was the catalyst for bringing this this concept back, at least in in uh, Birthright. And I know Birthright was supposed to sort of maybe be the start of a new origin for Superman, sort of a soft reboot. Not not a, not a reboot, but like a soft like like a uh, um, retcon for Su Superman's origin and it didn't really take, but now that's all said and done and over with and it doesn't uh, matter anymore. Um, Lionel Francis Yu's artwork takes, takes some getting used to. Uh, I'll say that. But, but after you, after reading it for a little while, you do, you do get used to this, um, to the artwork and, then it starts to really work. You, you, at least for me, I started reading, and you, you know, you're like, I don't know if this is really working. These these characters have sort of an interesting look to them, almost sort of a grotesque sort of look. It's the way that he draws their faces, and I don't mean grotesque as in like disgusting, sort of like the, the classical sense of just sort of um, odd facial features and cheekbones and things. And but then it starts to grow on me, or it started to grow. And then it, then it worked, and I and I'm fond of it. One of the only one of the criticisms I do have is that I think issue one it's it's supposed to it's it's trying to show Clark's humanity and and uh, that he wants to what he does um to to strive to be a good person no matter what, but he's in the, he's sort of gone um gone not undercover but he's implanted himself with um some foreign some some foreign um conflicts and sort of where that goes is i i don't need to get into everything here but it's it spends a lot of time with clark away from smallville and metropolis and and in this foreign environment and i think it spent a little bit too long there but then clark comes back stateside and you really start to get him at the Daily Planet and meeting Lex Luthor as an adult and how that's juxtaposed to the Lex Luthor that Clark knew growing up and 
um, Lex's plot to sort of frame Superman and and make the world think that Kryptonians are coming to invade when that's actually was not true. It's 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 a good story and I enjoy it um, on its own for what it is. I think it works really well, just as sort of a singular story that you pick it up and read it as a contained twelve issues um, alternate. Not 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 even alternate. Every every take on Superman can be an alternate take, but it's it's just a take on Superman's origin uh, by Mark Wade and Lionel Francis Yu, and I think it works really well. So next up, we have Superman's Secret Origin from Jeff John, two thousand nine, which felt like so long after two thousand three, but six years now, six years feels like nothing now. Um, my my son's going. My son's seven, and I'm like, where did the time go? Like it's already he's already um, seven in, in second grade. But I remember thinking that um, Secret Origin felt like it came out a lot, like a long time after Birthright, and they were doing this revamp um, to the origin, start uh, post Infinite Crisis origin, and I was super excited because it was being written by Jeff Johns, who was killing it with. Um, with Green Lantern and all the other DC work, like for years and years, like he was he was DC's guy, and then it really sort of died off, um, unfortunately, um, lately. Uh, sort of more of a fizzle than a than ending with a bang. Although you could say, I mean, Doomsday Clock was sort of a bang, but his last title that he was doing monthly or you know it's supposed to be monthly but it, it was delayed and delayed and delayed it was shazam that sort of just fizzled out at the end and uh he was able to complete what what, what would be like the first arc um but it just wasn't wasn't the same and something something happened and his relationship with dc is just not what it was but this is in 2009 and when jeff john was just killing it and this is Jeff Johns paired with Gary Frank, which I love. I think Gary Frank's artwork is phenomenal. Yes, his mouth, his the, his smiles in particular, but his his mouths can be a little bit awkward, particularly when people smile the way he draws them. But I think it's fantastic. So we'll start with first the covers. Um, I have the sing. I have this in single issue form, so I have the six issues, and they are all interconnected covers. And I think it works really well, and it's awesome. I, I think the covers are really cool. Uh, one of the big things that this series does was int reintroduce Superboy into Superman's history. Superman was Superboy now, um, or at least this series. Uh, uh, that's the that's the hook of this series, sort of. Is well, not of the whole series, but it's. He reintroduces that concept of Superman being Superboy and Adventures of the Legion of Superheroes. And that's really what happens in issue two. And then um, we have the future with the uh, – he's at the Daily Planet. But this, this series, I think, works really well, but it has highs and lows. I don't really like the um, – the classic sort of look to Metallo, which they did go back to sort of like uh, Jeff John really was really trying to play on some some classic Superman ideas, and so he has there's a Metallo in here, 
Um, and he has the sort of the classic Silver Age um, outfit, Metallo, which I'm not crazy about. I'm not crazy, again, about Superman, about Su- Superboy being part of the continuity, as I mentioned. I think Superman narratively works better when he's become Superman as an adult. I, I just think I just think it works better. And um but this series is ri- is really well written, I think, and some people have complaints which I understand. I don't know how much I disagree. I I don't think it, I don't mind it as much as some people do where in issue one, it's it should be majestic when we see Superman in his outfit for the first time. And here, and at the end of issue one, Clark's walking down the s- stairs in, in the Kent farmhouse, and he's embarrassed about what he's wearing. And and I understand that argument that people have that it should be a, a majestic moment, but Clark. It, I think it brings a little bit of realism that Clark is a teenager um, at this point in time, and even he recognizes that he's in tights, essentially. Now, should he probably be super confident and and open to what he's wearing? Yes, but I, it doesn't take very long for that to happen. I think in issue two, we're getting Superboy... Um, saving people and and we and we get the legion of superheroes um and and we do get him sort of being proud of what he's wearing and what he's doing and so i i i think the series works it's one of if, if i if i had to rank these i would still put man of steel and birthright ahead of secret origin probably i'd put probably um for all seasons after Secret Origin, though. Um, but I really think that uh, Gary Gary Frank is known to draw Superman really resembling Christopher Reeve, and that's on full display here. And I have, I have to say, I have no problem with that whatsoever. It doesn't bother me. I think it looks fantastic. Um, so we, we also get... We also get um, Parasite in here, and I have to say that we get one of the most awesome shirt reveals, shirt rips in any that I've uh, th- that I've seen that's been in any issue, which is in I believe it's in issue number three. Yes, we get a full splash page of Clark ripping his shirt open, and it just kicks all kinds of ass i think it's awesome so i i have i i have some nitpicks here there some some things that i'm not crazy about but all in all i think superman secret origin is pretty fantastic and i like it again there was a lot of hullabaloo how does this fit into continuity how does this oh you know this and that and continuity this and that but just reading it out like now as just a self-contained six issue origin another take on the origin i think it works really well so now let's move on to superman earth one so superman earth one from 2010 written by j michael straczynski and art by art by shane davis and 
I am going to say it right off the bat. I love this comic. I think it's awesome. Now, it was sort of branded and marketed as like a sort of a moodier, moodier Superman. And right on the cover, we get sort of a sort of a moody Superman. But I think this story is so freaking awesome. And Shane Davis kills it on the artwork. And I was I was not familiar with Shane Davis prior to this at all. I guess he had done a little bit of work on the Superman Batman title, I believe. Um, and I'm still not that familiar with him outside of the Earth One um, graphic novels. And oh, that, I, I, I should point out this was put out as a graphic novel. It was sort of the kickoff of the Earth One line of comics, which don't come out all that often, but are still coming out. I just p- read earlier this year, just a couple, just a couple months ago, Gre- Green Lantern or Earth One Green Lantern Volume Two. But I think there's been. Um, so there was three Superman volumes, two Batman volumes, and they've announced the third one coming out in 2021. Two Wonder Woman so far, with I believe the third one coming out in 2021. And then Teen Titans. I didn't read the Teen Titans, or I read the first Wonder Woman, but not this, the, the second didn't appeal to me. And um, both Green Lanterns are awesome, and the Batman ones are awesome. Batman is by the uh, by the um, Jeff Johns Gary Frank team, and it was uh, th- th- those are awesome. So I'm looking forward to Volume Three for Batman, but Superman Earth One is so awesome, and it really I'm surprised at how much Man of Steel the movie took from this volume and took from this origin not the villain but a lot of things that happen um we get a really cool villain he has you could he it could have come across as cheesy but you get a really cool villain um i'm blanking on his name but he has this sort of demonic look to him this alien and um you get you, you get a, a little bit different take on Jimmy Olsen, uh, not sort of a nerdy nerdy guy. Um, I, I just think this volume, this this uh, graphic novel works so well. Um, I am definitely going to do a episode on this this volume in, in particular. I could see like I want to do a, the cover of the series volumes one, two, and three. But I'm not going to talk too much about plot and things because I think this is – I think pound for pound, Superman Earth 1 is probably my favorite of the origin stories. Just pound for pound. Just uh, read it as a self-contained story. Uh, I think it is works really well. I think it works even better. I really like – this isn't to, – to, to downplay the awesomeness of the Man of Steel by John Byrne, but I think the origin really is in issue one, I think. And then we get some further adventures, um, first meetings of Lex Luthor and things, but those, but they, but they don't all tie together in a nice, tidy one-story thing. Like those issues are sort of um, issues one through six of Man of Steel, sort of are self-contained somewhat and that's where i think superman earth one really shines is that it's 
It was put out as a graphic novel, um, and it and it was put out to be read in the format that it is, and it's the it's the amount of content. I think it's the amount of content um, as about six issues would be, and I just think it's fantastic. And so I'm just gonna I'll gush over it um, now, and I'll gush over it in a future episode. Um, but it just works so well. If I have a nitpick, well, not if I have, but the nitpick that I have is that the belt, the belt and the boots for Superman um, are a little, well, no, not, not the belt, the boots. I think the boots are um, not my favorite style of boot for, for Superman, but that's sort of, that really is like one of the smaller nitpicks. I like how um, Shane Davis sort of puts a, a, um, yellow border around the red S. Um, really, a really thin border. And so you have the regular Superman S, and then you have the yellow that makes up the interior of the yellow S. But then you have the whole thing is bordered by a, a super thin yellow border for this for the uh, Superman S. And I think it works really well. Very sharp looking. Um, I like that it feels very quote unquote like realistic in the sense that like if you put yourself in this character's head, all of the things that he does, his motivations and the 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 the, the hesitancy to make himself public, I, it all feels very real, and I think it works well. Um, of course, do I love the Superman who's enthusiastic to be Superman? And the first time you see him, he's flying away, smiling in Man of Steel number one, John Byrne. Yes, I think that's awesome. But I also really like it here where he reveals himself when he has to, when the uh, alien, the alien, and I, shoot, I am just blanking on his name, but the alien threat is... To a point where Superman and causing such levels of destruction that Superman just has to show himself and he has to take on this threat. And I think it's fantastic. And Volume 1 really set up this mystery of who is involved in Krypton's destruction. And um, it, was, it was, there's a character that was that's in Shadow. Spoiler, it turns out to be General Zod. In Volume 3, we learned that. But I think it works. I think this volume works um, really well. I love the design of Krypton. I love the design of the sp of the spaceship. Superman comes to Earth in. I love the the fight, and it really does have a uh, blockbuster movie feel to it. So next, I want to move on to American. I want to move on to American Alien, uh, written by Max Landis, controversial figure, Max Landis, um, for a few different reasons. Superman fans are, he's notorious among Superman fans for his, his uh, sort of razzing that he gave the Death Superman storyline in a YouTube video. Um, what, circa, like, I don't know. 2011 or something like that 
but he was clearly a fan of the character. And he was given the chance to write this miniseries, and it had rotating artists. It's seven issues, and each issue has a different artist. And the idea behind that was that each issue is sort of going to have a different feel to it, and it would work well to have a different artist. And I have to agree, although at the same time, I really do think it might have worked better to have a single artist because for the... When I think the art works, it it really works. But there's a, there is a couple of issues where I don't think it works as well. Um, it is an interesting take. Uh, and I don't disagree with the creative choice to do that necessarily. Because you do get some cool... Um, you do get some cool art um, by different artists... Uh, but but I like, like like you get Francis Manipal on on one, you get Jock on another issue, but you get some some issues that just aren't as cohesive. Um, this was controversial uh, amongst Superman fans, especially like it seemed to have it seemed to rise in waves of like issue number one came out and people praised the heck out of it, and issue number one is fantastic, and it's set all during it's set during. Um, when Clark is probably about 10 years old and then it jumps forward in time to issue number two when he's a, a teenager and he burns someone's, he, he burns someone's arm off, um, in anger. And it's, it's, uh, it's sort of a striking, striking, um, when it happens and all, and, and, and it's sort of gruesome. But I think it works. It's an interesting take. Uh, we get a whole issue of Superman, um, or should I say Clark, uh, impersonating and going, um, not impersonating, but going, well, yeah, I, I believe I'm trying to remember if uh, he's impersonating Bruce Wayne or not, but a whole issue on Bruce Wayne's yacht really an interesting choice to uh, do a whole issue when you're doing Superman's origin to have a whole issue following Superman um, sort of what happens on his on Bruce Wayne's yacht uh, I think it works really well as a collected edition when you're reading these things bouncing around um, it just works well collected single issue form especially when you were waiting for these issues to come out uh I don't think it was as satisfying a read, um, but I think it uh, works really well as a collected edition, which the collected edition is what I have. And I've got to say, it's um, the I'm not crazy about the uh, the dust jacket on this book, but the regular cover is by Jock from taken from art from issue number seven, and it's pretty awesome. I have to say, it's really awesome. Um, and you get the an another issue with the sort of uh, sort of the infamous uh, goggle and uh, um, what helmet helmet and goggle look with the Batman cape, um, but 
on one hand, I'm not crazy about anything Batman inspiring, anything Superman related, but that this particular issue is drawn by Francis Manipal, and I, I'm a huge fan of his, and I think it works um, really well. The final issue is sort of a knockdown, drag out fight with um, with uh, Lobo. And it's it's a really cool issue. Now I gotta say, it could be the art by Jock, but this is issue number seven is where we finally get Superman in his full on Superman costume. I'm not crazy about the costume. Sort of has this um this biker look to the costume in the sense that uh, I, I I ride a motorcycle and I have a um a motorcycle jacket that's for safety it's got these big bulky pads on it and superman's outfit also has these pads that we in in issue seven and i don't know how well that works necessarily but the fight is pretty it's a pretty knockdown drag out fight that superman and lobo have and i but it's it's fun i this origin this is a fun read but this one's a little bit further down the list if i you know if i'm doing rankings if this is um, probably the lowest, but it, it takes the, I think it takes some of the biggest risks that, because um, other titles, other, other, most of these miniseries have sort of, they stayed in the lane. Now the lane might sort of veer, you know, we had the post crisis changes that John Byrne made. And so I guess I shouldn't say it played it safe because he did make a lot of changes. It, it feels safe now in hindsight, but I, it probably didn't feel safe at all for John Byrne in 1986, but it still was within the sort of realm. This is sort of a wild divergent um, take on showing showing us Superman's origin. That's not, that's not an Elseworlds origin. Now, of course, we've had Elseworlds titles that have had crazy takes on Superman's origin, obviously. They're Elseworlds stories. This is not presented as an Elseworlds per se. It's just another take on Superman's origin, seven issues, but it really sort of takes some takes takes some wild swings in terms of what they're going to do. Um, issue number six has uh, Pete Ross coming to visit Clark in Metropolis, and the whole issue is sort is this is supposed to be Superman's origin, and the whole issue is basically Clark and having a, a, a fun, you know, hang, hang, hanging out with some high school friends. And we get a little bit of, um, a, a little bit more, but it really is a character piece. And this is an issue where I don't think that, I think the writing is strong, but I don't think the art is super strong on this particular issue. But that's what, but we get a whole, when, when you think about Superman's origin, you get, like you probably think about thematically the type of stuff that happened in Secret Origin or Man of Steel or um, Earth One. This is not the content in here is not what you would tra traditionally set out when you're given the task of writing an origin for for Superman. And so I got to give Max Landis credit for that. Um, I would like to see it. Probably isn't going to happen. He's pretty controversial with. And he's had 
allegations, which I can't confirm, but allegations, you know, some of the Me Too movement, um, some of the, um, he's had some allegations come against him uh, in, ter- in terms of how he's treated treated people and treated women. Um, and so I don't know if it's going to happen, but I would I would be interested to see where a volume two of of um, Superman American Alien went. So next I want to move on to Man and Superman, the 100-page spectacular that came out in 2019 by Marv Wolfman. And this is interesting because it was originally supposed to come out much earlier as part of the Superman Confidential uh, series, which the that series is best known for its kryptonite uh, story storyline drawn by uh, Tim Sal at the be- at the uh, beginning of that series and it's r- really cool artwork um, in that series but for whatever reason Man and Superman was supposed to be I believe four issues that Marvel was doing for that Superman Confidential series. And I can't recall, and I believe Marvel in the pub, pub during the publicity um, uh, for Man and, Man and Superman explained this, but I forget what it was. But then this came out in 2019 called Man and Superman as a single 100-page spectacular that comprised these four issues, which apparently had been done for years and years and years. And it's an, it's another alternate take on the origin, and it's really, really well done. The art is by Claudio Castellini, who I'm not familiar with uh, outside of this, but he has a sort of a clean, classic look to his art, and this really deals with Clark showing, coming to Metropolis, and dealing with Lex Luthor, and I'm not going to go into the entire plot, but it's it's just really well done. It's a super classic take on Superman that is very straightforward, but felt so refreshing when it came out because this was we had had the New Fifty Two Superman, and we were up in the air like we had had all kinds of things that had happened to Superman and then this just felt like a refreshing palate cleansing awesome single read I read it in one sitting and it just it just is works so well as a as a classic take on Superman it really sort of like of course the minutia of what happens and how Superman becomes Superman um varies from John Byrne's Man of Steel and, and any of the, of the other origins. But this feels the most classic um, and it fits right in with the tone and the feel of, I think, the, that John Byrne feeling. Um, and that I could easily see the Superman and the John Byrne to, to Superman being one and the same. And it just has a I, I keep coming back to just the classic feeling and that's man superman really gorgeous cover i have to say of superman superman shadow flying through the cornfield 
Superman, um, the Daily Planet, big giant Daily Planet right in the cover, and the Superman S up in the clouds. It's pr- it's pretty gorgeous, and I think this title um, works so well that if you haven't read it, you definitely need to read it. Um, I, I, I mean, I guess if you haven't read any of these, you should probably read all of them if you're a, a Superman fan and you haven't read any of them. But it is fantastic. Uh, single slice of... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say a quick read, but it's four issues. You could read it in one sitting, such a, um, like I did. And it starts with Clark already in Metropolis, but not yet Superman. And he has his costume in a suitcase, and we see it within the first few pages of the series, but we actually don't see him in the costume for quite a while. Um, I believe it's probably what what equates to issue three, um, even though I don't think about this as a, as ver- as individual issues because those of us we all read it when as a single issue, it's just as the the, the hundred page spectacular, not the four issues it was intended as. That's Man and Superman. And I think it works really well. It's it's just a little shorter, and 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 it doesn't cover some of the classic. It doesn't cover Clark landing in Smallville or anything from childhood. So even though I say it's classic, it's I don't feel like it's the definitive origin, or um, just because it doesn't it misses a lot of I think some of the interesting stuff that happens in Smallville and. Um, it just jumps right to the right to the metropolis, which is fine because that's what a lot of the uh, that's when the things really kick into high gear for for Superman. He meets Lois Lane and Lex Luthor and um, all of the, the the classic most of the classics. Who's Superman? Sort of you could start there because that's sort of the question: is when do you start a Superman origin? And Marv Wolfman chose to start it. He's arriving in Metropolis. Um, but I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more uh, from the childhood, maybe. Or I always like to see different interpretations of Krypton, too. So I would have liked to have seen where they might have, uh, what the uh, interpretation of Krypton from Man and Superman might have been. So lastly, I'm going to talk about these. Superman uh, Year One by Frank Miller and John Romita Jr. Now, there's a lot of people out there who think that Frank Miller probably shouldn't touch anything Superman-related, given the way that he interpreted uh, Superman during Batman The Dark Knight Returns. But I was actually pretty excited for this, just because I wanted to see what Frank Miller was going to do with Superman's origin. So I was planning, I knew it was, this was, this came out in 2019 and I was planning on picking up the collected edition because the older I get, the more and more I just um, appreciate collected editions. I'll read the story and when it's complete and the best way to read a complete story is in a complete collection, a hard, um, a hard cover or, or a soft cover. Um, but I was fully intending to get the, individual or to get the collected edition 
until I was at my local comic shop actually picking up the final issue of The Walking Dead, so issue 193 of The Walking Dead. Now, Walking Dead is something that my wife and I, we read in the omnibus format. But the omnibus was going, the way that they include 24 issues in an omnibus, that would have had the last omnibus ending at issue 192. And so when they announced that Walking Dead was ending with issue 193, I made sure to pick up that issue because I didn't know what was going to happen with the collected edition. With the collected edition. Now it turns out it was all a non-issue because all I did was add issue 193 to the collected edition. And so the final Walking Dead hardcover omnibus has 25 issues instead of the regular 24. But needless to say, I was at the comic book shop picking up Walking Dead and I saw the the format of Superman Year One and the oversized format. And I had read about the format. Um, it's sort of um, more squarish, treasury. It's not as big as a treasury, but a, a bigger size, oversized, um, more horizontal space. Um, I had read about it, but I didn't. It was seeing it in person that made me think, oh, I have to get this in this format, this size. And again, this turns out to be an, something I could have waited, also waited on because the collect, collected edition is was printed at the larger size. But I was just, I wanted to make sure that I got it at the larger size. I, I didn't want it to be shrunk down to a normal comic size. And I just, and I didn't know that the, collect, the collected edition was going to maintain the original size. So I did get this in the individual three issues. And I got the Frank Miller covers because I think they work better than the, I like them a lot better actually than the, than the John Romita Jr. covers. Um, now this series covers various particular points in Superman's life. The first issue covers his adolescence in Smallville. And what's kind of cool is Clark is becomes friends with sort of the outsiders because he feels like, like, a, like an outsider himself. And issue number one is really good. And this is a series that I think goes up and down and up because issue number two and the one of the um, more I interesting things regarding this take on the origin is that Superman um, Clark joins the military at the end of issue number one. And then issue number two, he's in is all about his time in the military and meeting Laura Lamaris and um, spend a lot of time underwater with Laura Lamaris and, and, mermaids and things of that and I am not a very big fan of Laura Lamaris as a character and so having number issue number two have that play such a big role in in that I think is it just didn't appeal to me as much um, and so and that's what that was a big part of that was a big part of secret origin um, issue number issue number two is is all is his time in the military and his time with Lori Lamaris and the I, I don't know if they're the Atlanteans or but it's it's their mermaid race and I just uh, I was really high on issue number one and I and I actually didn't read any of the issues until all three were out I was really high on issue number one and then issue issue, issue number two just the the story just was much less intriguing to me. And then issue number three is a lot more of the traditional 
Daily Planet type stuff, and um, we get Clark and Clark and uh, Batman meeting up, meeting for the first time. Um, but I have to say, I think John Romita's artwork is fantastic, but it's not a fit for Superman. Now, I don't mean Superman's world. I think these the art for these issues is pretty gorgeous, I think. Except for sup- the actual character of Superman. I think he... I don't really like the way that John Romita Jr. draws Clark himself. As an adolescent Clark in issues one and issues two, I think he works. But the adult Clark that we should be having number three, he just draws him too skinny, too... Especially on some of the covers of this. Um, he draws him too emaciated. He is just too skinny not that you know there's those that say that superman doesn't get his power his strength from his muscles he could be a super skinny guy and be and still be as strong and maybe that's where john amelia jr is going with with some of this but i don't think it works as well and i don't think his his faces um are also something to get used to and he has a, a particular look to his faces and I just don't feel like it works for Superman. Like his characters have these sort of bigger noses and I'm, I have no problem with, I actually love John, John, John Romita's artwork and the kick-ass, uh, all four miniseries. So the three kick-ass miniseries, um, and the hit girl. And I think it's awesome there, but I just, John Romita Jr. is not the fit for Superman, unfortunately, because his backgrounds and the other characters don't. I, I think they all look really gorgeous and are. He draws really well, and and but I don't think that he's the best fit for actually drawing the character of Superman, and that's a bummer because this is Superman Year One, so the character is the primary character is obviously Superman, and it just doesn't work. Um, for me as well, but I do gotta say the uh, Frank Miller covers that I have, because these are the alternate covers. Because um, John Romita Jr. obviously did covers for all three issues. The Frank Miller covers are really awesome in in his Frank Miller style. I don't think they they don't really really relate to what's going on in the book too much, but they they are just cool pieces of art. And I have to really give a shout out to the coloring for the, for this title, for which is by Alex Sinclair, which he's a name. I can't think of what else he's worked on, but I know he's one of the bigger names when it comes to coloring that I've seen. And the coloring in this is awesome. Um, it just makes it pop. I think the coloring raises the art to an even higher level. Like John Romita Jr.'s artwork is pretty good, except for Superman, as I said. But backgrounds, everything is pretty good. But Alex Sinclair really raises that bar. Um, and I, I'm sure I'm blanking, I, but I know Alex Sinclair has done some other work that I've praised. Um, but it, it, I, th- I think he does a good job here. I need to reread this series. I've only read it one time um, from start to finish, and I need to read it again. But I think it... It's and it's, it was, it's part of the DC black the DC black label, which is sort of their more standalone stuff, but also it's supposed to be a little bit more more mature for mature audiences, but also outside of continuity. And I think it 
it's not as bad as I think a lot of people were expecting when it comes to pairing Frank Miller with Superman, but it wasn't as good as I was hoping. Um, I, I, I think it, issue number one, I think, knocked it out of the park. And then in, in, in issue three is pretty good, but issue number two, I think, really misses the mark and s- spends almost the entire issue with Superman dealing with Lori Lamaris and her world, and, and um, it just misses the mark for me. It could maybe 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 it's because I'm just not a Laurie Lamaris fan in general, but it just doesn't quite work. But all in all, I if I were to to none of these origins, I would say are duds. They're not. I think they're all they all have their merits and they all have nitpicks. Some I like more than others. Uh, Earth One is my tops. There's no question about it. I love Earth One. Uh, from top to bottom, there's some nitpicks here or there. Superman's boots, and but in general, I think that's a pretty perfect um, origin for Superman. And I'm not gonna go through and rank them all, but I and I'm giving my general thoughts on them. But there's no, there, there isn't a dud in the bunch here. They're all, they're all fantastic for the most part. They have. Um, flaws some of them as you know i've pointed out numerous flaws and things but i think all in all these are they're they're pretty good now i'm biased i'm honestly i'm i'm a mark i'm a, i'm a superman fan so if you gave these to somebody who's not necessarily not a, a superman fan but just somebody who isn't a superman fanatic and had them read them how would they rank them how would they like what which of these volumes would speak to them then i'm not sure but I know it speaks to me, and they all speak to me in different ways. So I think with that, I'm going to wrap it up. So again, I reserve the right to talk about any of these um, origins in more detail and dive, give a deeper dive. Because some of these I, I gave a very surface level to. Some, some I gave a little bit more detail than others, but... Um, this is something that I've been wanting to do for a while is to dive into the origins because there's, there, there's a lot. Um, and this is just the comic book origins and it's the major ones. Now I know there's some origins that uh, I've left out and I'm sure there's some that I'm, that I'm not even aware of some, especially some silver and silver and bronze age things. But these are the primary ones and the big ones of the last 20, 30 years especially since post-crisis. So th- th- this is a lot of fun, and it's been in the making. I've had these comics pulled and ready to, to, to go to talk about for quite some time down here in the down here in the podcasting room. So finally, I'm glad that I finally got a chance to talk about it. All right, everyone. See you next time. <laughs>